Hey, uh, those of you that are visiting, my name is Kenan Vaughn, and I've got the just real treat, the privilege of pastoring here at Harvest amidst an incredible um, group of uh, men who are, serve as our elders, our pastors of our flock, and um, just really neat what God's doing in our presence. We praise him for it. And um, this morning, I'm excited, we'll be in Romans 6 as we continue in our series, Sanctified, uh, talking about being made new, which is this lifetime progressive process that we are in as born-again followers of Jesus. So you can head to Romans 6, and as you do, let me say just one or two things. Um, We have uh, coming up, I really want everyone to know this, especially those that may be visiting, uh, whether first time or regularly, we have coming up August 16, 23, and 30, so those are the last three Sundays in August, we're going to be pausing the Sanctified series to do a a uh, Harvest DNA series, and in that, in those three weeks, uh, I will talk about really how our core values um, filter into what life of Harvest looks like, who we are, what we believe, um, how to be uh, involved, not just in a Sunday morning service, but really in the fabric of uh, our body. And so if you're here wondering how to be more involved, especially going into the fall, uh, please be at those three services. If you have to miss one, you'll want to catch that online. Uh, by the way, all of our sermons now, are, uh, you can listen to them live um, online uh, if you're uh, not able to be here. So just go on media on the website and you'll see uh, the live um, uh, sermon being uh, given at uh, the time we're preaching it. And then, of course, it's on recorded immediately after. So you want to make those three services. We will be on that day, August 16, going back to two services. Our two-service schedule will pick up again. So 9 o'clock and 1045 will be the two-service times. And again, that starts on August 16. So we've got today and two more Sundays together in Sanctified. Then we'll shift over to Harvest DNA as we go to two services. And that will really explain uh, what we're all about and how we're getting there and really kind of lay out all the uh, the uh, offerings for this fall that will hopefully help us to be, to be a gospel-driven, disciple-making church. So excited about what's ahead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we are excited to be here this morning, love to be uh, gathered amidst your people, worshiping your name. You are worthy, Lord, of all of our praise, and you're worthy of our lives. And Lord, this text is one that uh, slices and dices my heart this week as I just remember that uh, it's not merely the new nature that you've given me um, that longs for you. It's the fact that I am under such a loving yoke of a new master that you, Lord Jesus, have mastered me in your grace, and your grace leads me to life abundant today and life everlasting. And so my desires have changed. My affections have changed. Lord, I pray that this text would show us the truth of what's going on in our hearts as we learn to walk with you, our Lord, our Savior, under grace. God, I pray in these few moments ahead that I would decrease, I must decrease, Lord, that you must increase. And so I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So in case case you haven't been with us, just really quick runway, uh, we did a series last summer called Justified. The word justified, uh, justification, is, is this, this moment, and, and again, I stress the word moment, where we are declared righteous. And it's, it's a wild thing to be declared righteous and yet to know that still in my flesh, I'm, I'm not fully formed into righteousness. I am still struggling with sin. And so this, this moment where God says, bam, you are declared righteous, the big question that rose to the surface is how can God do that? How can he declare us righteous in the midst of our sinfulness and him still be a just God? We know he's a just and holy God. And so what we learned last summer and uh, over the, the course of a couple months studying Romans uh, 3, 4, 5 was that God can do it and still be holy 
without winking at our sin, without ignoring our sin, because there was one who was holy and is holy even to this day who died in our place for our sin. His name is Jesus. And so God did not ignore our sin. He doesn't count us righteous in the midst of our unrighteousness um, uh, is, is a breach against his own nature. He sent his son to pay for our sin, literally poured out his wrath against our sin on his son who endured the cross, scorning its shame for our sake so that we literally can be forgiven of our sin, be declared righteous in a moment. God still be holy because of Jesus. So Jesus is the epicenter of our justification. He's the reason that we are declared righteous in our sin by grace through faith in him. And this summer, we've been talking about what it means to be sanctified, this process of sanctification, which again, the word there is process. Justification is a moment. It's the moment that you are saved, the moment that you are regenerated, the moment of your conversion. From that moment all the way until we stand in the presence of Christ is a process called sanctification. Now, it's the process where God doesn't just save us by grace through faith in Christ and leave us there. He doesn't do it. From the moment we profess true saving faith in him, from the moment we yield our lives to him, just as he saves us, he secures us. Just as he secures us, he moves us along towards holiness, towards growth in Christ. So we learned two weeks ago in Romans 1 through 6, 1 through 7, that the true Christian will grow in Christ. We will. We can't not. In fact, that's where Romans 6 started. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, we can't. It's really a moot point to talk about whether we should because we can't. We can't because we have a new nature. We have a new nature. And this new nature, is, it's not merely that we have adopted a new system of beliefs when we became Christian. We became grafted into a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. And so what we saw, Paul wrote, was that just as we share in his baptism unto death, in other words, we receive what he accomplished in death, which is the forgiveness of sin, so also we receive what he accomplished in resurrecting, which is the newness of life. So anyone that's truly forgiven will have newness. Newness is not an option on the end of the contract. If you're forgiven, you're going to experience and walk in newness. You're going to be made new. Those who he justifies, he will sanctify, he will glorify. Amen? And so that's what we saw, and that's what we've seen, and, and, uh, and we saw also in being sanctified that that means the penalty of our sin, it's gone, it's dealt with. You're not being sanctified unless your sin has literally, the penalty has been paid in full, it is finished. It is far as the east is from the west, as Damon taught us three weeks ago, it is gone. And the power of sin is broken. It no longer has mastery. It's, the, it's, the, it's that presence of sin that we still feel and that we still war with and we still battle with and we still struggle against. The presence will be here until we are glorified in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so we got some commands from verses 8 to 14. And the commands were, consider yourselves dead to sin. Understand the victory has been won. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Steve preached on this last week. And yield yourself up to God. That's how you battle sin well. Now, if I told you that before you got saved, those of you that are in Christ, you know as well as I do, you'd have laughed at the notion of yielding yourself to God in this uh, world of sin. You would have mocked the idea. You would have laughed in my face, or maybe if you were politely waited until you were in the parking lot, laughed all the way home, and that's if you stayed awake during the sermon. 
And the reason is you and I had a, had a, had a nature, we were slave to sin, where, where none of that truth of Romans 6, 8 through 14, none of that made any sense. Those commands were foolishness. Who would live like that? And yet now we hear those commands and we say, yes, I want more of that. I want to know how to yield more fully. I want to, I want to know how to be fully surrendered because I want more of Christ. I don't want to go back. See, there's something happening there. We have this new nature that's no longer dominated by sin. It's dominated by Christ. As a matter of fact, verse 14, where Steve finished last week, where we'll pick up this week, the text says, for sin will have no dominion over you. It will not. It's not that it might not. It will not. Since you are not. So here's the reason sin won't dominate. Because you're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. Now this really sets the table for what Paul's going to say in our verses this morning. And here's what I mean. When we were under law, Here's what the law revealed to you and I. The law revealed that we cannot be righteous unto God in and of ourselves. Not a one of us. We're all sinful. Every one of us falls short of the glory of God. Everyone in here, me included. Paul said, I'm the chief among sinners. The law was a mirror that reflected my need for a Savior. It left me broken and in need. It left me hungering and thirsting for a righteousness that I could not attain no matter how hard I tried. And so here's the good news of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a gospel of try harder. The gospel is a gospel of grace that says even in your sin you were known and loved. And that love was demonstrated by God who sent his son to die on your behalf. And he didn't just die. He then opened your eyes to your sin, to your need for him, to the truth of his death, to the truth of his resurrection. He drew you unto himself and he saved you. Amen? My goodness. That's the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's as Tim Keller says, and I love the quote, we are more sinful than we would ever like to admit, and yet we are more loved than we could ever imagine. Is that true? That's true. That's exactly right. Tim Keller nails that. We are under the banner of his grace. We're not under law. Praise God, we're not under law anymore. We're under grace. We've seen our need, but our need has been covered by his blood, and we live under the banner of his grace. And so what, what does that elicit in us? What does that theological truth bring forth in us? Well, look right here. Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Does it bring forth sin? Does the fact that Jesus Christ has died in our place and for our sin, that he has bore the wrath of God that was due to us, that he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Does that leave us saying, all right, we got our fire insurance, now we can live like hellions. Everybody, in on three. Does anybody, does the gospel breed that in our lives? Paul's answer is three, or by no means. Good gracious, that's absurd. It's just, let, let me give this to you practically. I was driving home. We had a great family vacation. Uh, we went down to the beach in Florida, had so much fun. The highlight of the trip was crab hunting. We caught about 30, the guys caught about 30 crabs. I was just the flashlight guy. They had all the nets. Um, but they, uh, they caught about 30. I mean, and every time we caught one, it was like, it sounded like we just won the national championship. I mean, we awoke everyone that had a condo on the beach. And, um, and it was so much fun, but that had nothing to do with my illustration. We, uh, we were coming home, and uh, on the way home, we stopped in Birmingham for a wedding. Uh, Harrison Jones, uh, one of the sons of Rex and Leslie, was getting married, and uh, it was so much fun. This is one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever been to in my life there in Birmingham. 
And, uh, and, and most of the time at weddings these days, I'm usually on stage. I'm usually performing. And so I'm usually counseling, bridegroom, praying with family, performing ceremony. I mean, there's a lot of details. This was fun because I just was sitting in the back. I mean, I was there. I just was enjoying this wedding. And the Lord struck me with something during this wedding. And I, I just I had a totally different perspective that I'm used to having. And I got to see this, uh, this really strapping young, you know, groom and this just gorgeous bride. And they were standing there on stage. And I was watching from the back. And, and I, I was just kind of marveling in the moment. Like, like they were just clearly kind of gushy in love with each other. And it, it was fun to just see that. And their family, the friends, everybody. And I watched this point in the um, ceremony, which is pretty normal, where, where uh, they, they were charged to, to really love one another and and, and this, this, uh, this, this minister charged Harrison to love and lead Julia well and charged Julia to respond with uh, loving and affirming and, and following Harrison as the Lord leads him. And there was this beautiful word given, and, and you saw them just kind of like, uh, you know, just blushing, you know, with, with, uh, with humility and, and excitement. And, and then they turned towards one another, and then the, the, uh, they, they start with Harrison, and they had him take his vows. And I watched this young man, and he, he professed his love very public, right in front of God, all of his friends and family, and about a thousand other people, and he professed his love to this young woman, and he said things like, um, I'm gonna love you forever. Like, for better or for worse, like, even on your worst days, I know you even in your worst, and I still love you, and I'll always love you. Like, I'm never going away. You know what he said? He said something crazy. He said, I'm gonna love you till death do us part. How do you think this young bride felt when she heard him professing his unconditional love to her? You think she's over there going, ha, my plan worked. I got him. And now before God in all humanity, he has covenanted his love to me. I can spend all his money. I can run around with his friends I can do whatever I'd like to do. I don't need to do anything to woo or win or serve or love or affirm him any longer. Anybody? I don't think so. Let me tell you, that wasn't this bride's reaction. I mean, he professes love. You know what she did? She visibly melted on the stage. Like she just melted under his love. And so she responded amidst her choked up tears. She responded how much she's going to love him and she just wants to be under the banner of his love she just can't wait to be with him and serve him and love him and adore him all of her days now i don't think that was the wild exception you know what i think that was a picture of i think that was a picture of a greater groom and a greater bride that bride that is the church it's all of us our bridegroom is jesus and here's the difference between jesus and harrison and jesus and any human groom that you've ever been to the wedding of that groom can profess his unconditional love jesus christ can profess his perfect love jesus christ says i will love you not only unconditionally by the way i know you better than you know you i know your worst and I will love you now and forever. And I will prove it by giving my life once and for all. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will not divorce you. You have nothing to worry about. I love you unconditionally and I love you perfectly forever. And our response is not, wow, I'm under grace, license to sin. 
not if you understand the love of Christ. You stand there as the bride in awe of the love of a bridegroom. How could he love me like that? Like, how can that even be true? Like, I don't deserve to be loved like that. I've done nothing to earn that. And when you realize that he is serious, when you stare at the cross and you see the proof is in this old wooden cross where he said it is finished, then we melt under his love and we yield ourselves completely to him. That's the only natural response to the gospel. That's the only response that makes sense to his love. And so Paul says, what are we going to do? Now that we're under grace, are we going to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Paul says, by no means does it make any sense if you understand the love of Christ. And so he says in verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey? That sounds pretty obvious, doesn't it? And by, by the way, it's meant to. Paul gives this axiom. An axiom is like an obvious statement. You're supposed to, if you present yourself as a slave, you gotta obey the one you presented yourself to. Right? In junior high, we used to say, no, duh. Like, that's pretty. And, and it's true. Uh, if you enlist into the army, which I've never done, but I'm assuming that you, when you report and check in to the barracks there and are given a drill sergeant and that guy comes in at 0500, he doesn't say who wants to run today, right? He's dishing out orders and you don't say, you know what, that sounds hard. I think I'll pass. No, you presented yourself as a slave and you know what he expects? You to obey. You know what you expect? To obey. And so what Paul says is, look here, he, he kind of gives us something obvious. Do you not know that when you present, this is how Paul sees salvation. This is how Paul sees conversion, that you were literally a slave to sin. Repentance is turning from sin, turning to Christ. So literally, you, you are the, sla- the slavery, the, the chains you have to sin are broken, and you place your chains in Christ. It's turning from sin to Jesus. And Paul says, do you not know when you present yourself to Christ, whoever you present yourself, you're a slave, to the one you obey. And I know our tendency, if you're like me, just, just the word slave is not, is not our favorite word. Um, and by the way, Paul's gonna deal explicitly with that in about three more verses. But, but the idea for me is, you know, I, I don't really wanna be a slave at all. You know, like I just, I don't wanna be a slave to anybody or anything, I wanna be free. And I want you to understand, we can't be free just for freedom's sake. It's something we all gotta understand. You are either free from sin thus being chained to righteousness, or you're free from all righteousness, thus being chained to sin. There's no like middle hangout ground where you're just free from sin and righteousness. And the reason is, we were born into this world, in a fallen world, and because of the sin of our forefather, Adam, we have a DNA that is very sinful. So we start off, first breath, doctor spanks that bottom, we scream out, and you know what? We are sinful. Our nature is one of sin. We are enslaved to sin. We can't do no other. We're dominated by it. If you're not sure that's true, you need to raise you a toddler. All right? And if you don't have any, look, I got one you can borrow. Okay? I want him back. I love him. But here's what you'll see. Toddlers, they're no good at pretending. They're, They're not good at, like, performing for you to fake you out to think that they're righteous. They don't do it. They just unashamedly bear themselves in full and themselves is prone to sin. They are these sinful, selfish, adorable little things. 
And, uh, and they're only adorable if you're their parent, I realize that. But listen, uh, listen, here's the thing about toddlers. You can't find me a toddler prone to righteousness. Because we're born under the yoke of slavery to sin. Now listen, we don't have to pick on toddlers. You can't find me any human being fully formed in his adulthood, in her adulthood, that is prone to righteousness. You'll never find it outside of a rebirth. Outside of, not Nicodemus, you can't go back into your mother's womb and be reborn. Jesus said you must be born again. Spiritual rebirth, where literally you're given a new nature where what was natural to you is no longer natural and what was unnatural to you is now natural. That's the only way that you're no longer prone to sin, that you're no longer mastered by sin. And so understand, there is no, there's no freedom in the middle to just hang out. We are enslaved. It's a matter of who is your master. The question is, who is your master? Sin leading to death. That's what Paul says right here. You're either mastered by sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so we come to verse 17. Paul states this truth, that that's just true of us. We're born in sin, and unless we are delivered, that's where we are. But if we're delivered, we're delivered over to obedience, leading to righteousness. My goodness, what a change. And so he says in 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That is a mouthful of goodness. Okay? Unbelievable, epic, gorgeous, amazing, riveting, earth-shattering, life-transforming verse. Reminds me of Friday night. I was... um, at like four in the afternoon, I was, I was grabbing a, I needed to grab a bite to eat before our Discover Harvest here with our uh, folks that are interested in learning more about the church. And so I went over to McAllister's and uh, I just kind of needed something. And by the way, I've not had any particularly overwhelmingly, you know, haven't had a lot of life-changing meals at McAllister's, but it's always been fine. It's, you know, there's some things that I like there. So, you know, it's just kind of McAllister's, and, you know, I like the tea and whatnot. So I get, I get there, and there was no one there. It's like 4 o'clock, and I, I don't know. I don't know if it was the, the particular chef at the time. I mean, maybe Jesus was back there cooking, but, but all I know was this. I, uh, I was about to order, and I'm staring at the menu. You know, there's about, there's about 640 options, and so I'm, I'm just kind of staring there lost as usual. And, and the gal says to me, uh, uh, sir, you should try our Cuban and I, I mean, just the fact that she recommended anything, I, I, was, I said, okay, okay, really? And then I saw, then all of a sudden it popped out the poster, the summer special, they're serving the Cuban. And I said, you know, I've never had a Cuban. And she goes, sir, our Cuban is awesome. I was like, I like your passion. You know what? Give me a Cuban. <laughs> By the way, what's on a Cuban? Like, I don't even know what I'm ordering here. And so... Um, she, uh, she I, I order the Cuban, and, and I, you know, I go down, I sit down, I'm going to study for a little bit, and uh, a little while later, she brings out this sandwich. Gosh, and again, I, I can't wholeheartedly endorse, because I don't know if it was just mine. Okay, I don't know. But she brought out a sandwich that was unlike any other sandwich. I'm telling you right here, I'm a bunch of y'all about to go to McAllister's and put this to the test. I understand. Listen, the, there was toasted ciabatta bread, which... It had that perfect crunch. Like you bit in and it was just this perfect kind of light crunch with really soft, warm bread. And inside, thin layered ham. This apparently is what a Cuban is, or at least what it is there. Thin layers of ham 
and then they had packed some like a like pulled pork barbecue on top. All right, which is really good. You put pulled pork on anything, it's going to be good. And they put that on there, and then they had, uh, they had put spicy mustard, which was really good, on the bread. So spicy mustard, and then they had put pickles on there. And the reason I looked at this is because I took a bite, and I was just like, <laughs> I mean, it was like new life. Like, and so I looked, I'm like, what is this? And I'm eating this Cuban, and I literally was so overwhelmed by the explosion of taste in my mouth that I called my wife. I called... <laughs> I called her. I'm like three bites in like, Catherine, have you ever had a Cuban? And she's going, where are you? McAllister's. And we had a whole deal. I mean, I was just in the Shekinah glory there for a minute. And again, I don't know if it was that one. I don't know. But I do. I, I, I was reading my Bible as I ate my Cuban. And you know what I thought about? Verse 17 is the Cuban of our text. Like, there is an explosion of goodness in this verse that you will need to call someone. Okay, this is so good. And so verse 17, Paul says, thanks be to God. Now, why thanks be to God? Well, remember, um, you know what? There's a verse, Paul says, in Colossians chapter 1, 13, that says, listen carefully, this is so, so good. He has delivered us over from the domain of darkness... To the kingdom of his beloved son. Great verse, Colossians 1.13. He's delivered us over. Kingdom of, domain of darkness, kingdom of beloved son. Meaning, there is a kingdom of darkness. We were all once in it. And there's a kingdom of light. And there's a prince of this world who seeks to devour your soul. And there is a wounded king pierced for your transgressions. And there is sin and shame and oppression. And there is love and grace and righteousness. And you are in one kingdom or the other. Paul says, thanks be to God because salvation is of the Lord. It is him who has to deliver you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's of the Lord. Without his divine intervention, we are stone blind in our sin and on a one-way path to an eternal separation from God in hell. He's got to turn those lights on. Paul says, thanks be to God. And watch his commentary on this. That you were once slaves of sin. We're going phrase by phrase in the Cuban here, all right? Slaves of sin, layer by layer. You were once slaves of sin. I, I like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and following. Listen carefully, Paul says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and obeyed the ruler of this world, the prince of the air who is at work in those who are disobedient. Listen to what he says. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful flesh, our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. Isn't that great? Don't ever forget, we were once slaves to sin. But God, but God, that's it. But God, rich in mercy, he delivered us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He made us alive. 
when we were not. Now the key word there is were. Paul says in the second layer of our verse, you were once slaves to sin, all of us. But watch this, you who were once slaves have become obedient from the heart. What does that mean, obedient from the heart? Simply, not, it's not legalism. You haven't become obedient to God in a sense that like you have to and you begrudge your way through it and you white knuckle it and even when you're not, you fake it. Like I, like I hate trying to do this religious thing, but I know I'm supposed to. That is not heart obedience. Legalism, moralism. What this says is when you get delivered over, you become obedient from the heart as if your heart delights in obedience. Like it's your heart that yearns to obey. If this dadgum flesh wouldn't get in the way, your heart is yearning for more obedience. Watch this. You have been delivered, you were once slaves, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. All right, here comes the spicy mustard. Y'all ready? To which you were committed. You know what that sounds like when you read it? You finally became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, which you were really after, which you were committed to, which you were grinding through. I want to tell you something. That is not what this is saying. And the key is understanding that word committed is not um, active voice. It's not the subject doing the action as unto obedience to God. It's passive voice. Now listen, this makes all the difference in the world. Passive voice meaning the action being done unto you. Got to hear this. Meaning you are the subject being acted upon by an outside source. So here's what it's saying. That you you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were delivered over to. Someone acted on your behalf, delivered you over from slavery to sin to a heart obedience to a new form of teaching. Well, what is the new form of teaching? The word there, standard, is the word tupas. It means mold. You were delivered delivered over into a mold. What is this mold? Well, it's this new form of teaching. What's the new form of teaching Paul's talking about? You're no longer under law, you're under grace. So this new doctrine that you're being introduced to is the doctrine of grace. The new mold that you're being poured into is the mold, it's the mold of the grace of the gospel. It's a gospel mold. And so here you are, slave to sin. You are, if you're a piece of metal, you are twisted and contorted and distorted and gnarled up. And that's where you're stuck in your slavery to sin. And yet God comes as the heavenly bridegroom, professing to you, knowing you're in your sin, unconditionally love you. And his love brings heat that melts you into this malleable substance. And so that you can be delivered over and poured in your liquid form into a new mold, which is the mold of the gospel, so that you are now formed into the image of Jesus Christ. Is that anyone's testimony? If you're a Christian, you say, that, that's what happened to me. That's it. Verse 17, I ate the Cuban. That's what happened to you. You who were once slaves, 
You were delivered. Paradidomi means delivered over, not in and of yourself, in and of an outside source who loved you in spite of yourself. And he didn't just bring you, he melted you in his love, pours you into a new mold, changes your affection, changes your nature, transforms you into the image of Christ where now you have a heart obedience to Christ. Verse 17. And he goes on in 18 and he says, Having been set free from sin, that's the glorious reality for the Christian. Ah, I was enslaved, I was chained, I was stuck, it was dark, I was lonely, I was in despair, I was in addiction. Chained, having been set free. Here's the good news. You've become slaves of righteousness. You, when you're truly free of your chains to sin, you don't want to hang out in the middle ground. You're saying, chain me up to the one who set me free. Make me his. I want to be as close to him as possible. I want to follow him wholeheartedly all of my days. Well, the good news, this isn't Paul saying, and so you're slaves of righteousness. This is Paul saying, out of the deep gratitude of our heart, we are now slaves to righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah indeed. And so he goes on here and says, um, verse 19, uh, this phrase, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Let me just stop there and and say, uh, Paul is kind of, you remember earlier I said, I don't love the slave language. It's not the perfect metaphor of our relationship with God. It's true. Paul is trying to say, will you continue in your sin? No, uh, not any more than... um, you, uh, uh, you can disobey um, the person you've enslaved yourself to. Now you're a slave to Christ, you're a slave to grace. Grace in Jesus will never lead you to sin. So it's true, but there's something lacking in that metaphor. Paul knows that he's almost apologizing right here. Look, I'm only speaking in this metaphor because of your natural limitations. I'm trying to make this where you're going to understand why grace doesn't give you a license to sin. But there's more to the stories what Paul's saying. There's, 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 we, uh, a slave obeys a master because he has to, because he's afraid of the consequence. We don't merely obey God because we're afraid of the consequences. It's not out of fear. Fear's not our primary motivation. It's love. Let me give you an illustration. My, my boys and I love to watch John Wayne movies. I've mentioned that before. So if you disagree with that, you don't have to email me. It's okay. Um, we love it. We love the Duke. It's a, it's a multi-generational tradition in my family. My granddad with my dad, my dad with me, me with my boys. And I originally just kind of was watching with the older two, but, but somehow the little guys always get in there. And it's the funniest thing. My two-year-old toddler, um, anytime we're even walking towards what we call the cuddler, which is like a reclining love seat type of a deal. Everyone should have one. And uh, anytime we're even moving in that direction, he starts going, mooey, mooey, mooey. Um, and you can't decide if that's smoothie or movie, but if it's movie, you get a little closer and movie, and you get to that cuddler, and he goes, Jan Wayne, Jan Wayne, Jan Wayne. And it's like, don't you want like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse? Jan Wayne, Jan Wayne. Um, and so uh, we were watching um, one last weekend. Uh, the movie is uh, called Chisholm. They've seen it, and uh, the, the, the main character, no doubt, is uh, John Wayne, who is John Chisholm in this movie. And uh, let, me, let me just illustrate this truth with this, this theme of this movie, and this, this is so good. Uh, in this movie, John Wayne, just, uh, John Chisholm, let me use this movie name, John Chisholm has become the, uh, the benevolent, patriarchal, this is kind of fourth quarter of his life, he settled the West, 
for all intents and purposes. And he is, he's got the largest range in the entire west because he was the first one there. And right along the Pecos River in New Mexico territory, uh, mid-1800s, late-1800s. And, and he's like the patriarchal, kind of the law stops with him, but that's a good thing because he's, he's honest and he, and he, and he, uh, you know, he, he doesn't want any of the you know, bad guys. He kind of you know, makes sure everything is, is done in a right, trustworthy manner according to the law. I mean, he's a good, benevolent, old man cowboy. And uh, this, the movie kind of begins where these bandits go through and they steal some of his cows or horses, I can't remember, and they steal them. And so John Chisholm hears about it, and so he grabs his, his little right-hand man, Pepper, and, and they head off to chase these guys. And they chase them down to the river where uh, the bad guys jump out, and they've ambushed them, and they're, they're opening fire on them. And uh, John Chisholm would have been in big trouble, except there's this young buck that rides up, kind of out of nowhere. And he rides up on his horse, and this guy's, I mean, this guy's like an unbelievable shot. Like, he's just picking them off left and right. You're kind of like, who's that guy? You know, and, uh, and they win the little battle, and so Chisholm kind of goes and asks him his name. Says, you know, thanks for helping me out. Which name? And this guy says, I'm William Bonney. Now, you guys that know that name, that's Billy the Kid. So I got really excited. I was like, wait, this movie has Billy the Kid. This is you know, next level. And so I'm excited. I'm, I pause it. I'm telling the kids who Billy the Kid is and trying to explain, you know, he's, you kind of, I mean, he's, it's hard, it's hard to get your mind around Billy the Kid. I mean, he's done a lot of things that are wrong and yet you kind of love him and how do you explain that to a toddler? And so um, what happens is Billy the Kid is now out there uh, working as a rancher for John Chisholm's neighbor. Now, John Chisholm's neighbor is named Henry Tunstall. Henry Tunstall is the only non-cowboy living in the West. He's like an English man. He doesn't carry a gun, wears a top hat. He is not a cowboy. He is an honest farmer rancher. Doesn't know the first thing about guns and, and you know, any, and, and he is the picture of integrity. His name is like gold throughout. If Mr. Tunstall said it, you need no contract. He honestly is like, he's like a shadow of Christ in the movie. And he's this unbelievable, just you, 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 you wish that he was your granddad. I mean, Mr. Tunstall is unbelievable. And Billy the Kid has found himself working for Mr. Tunstall. And when you find this out, you're like, wait a minute. And the rumor is, hey, this Billy the Kid, he killed a man when he was only 12 years old. He's been thieving and robbing and killing ever since. And yet he's working for, like, Mr. Integrity. And so you're going, does Mr. Tunstall not understand like the past? Is, is he duped? Is he in the dark? And that's kind of what you're wondering as a viewer. And you come to find out when Chisholm talks to Tunstall about it, you find out Mr. Tunstall is not in the dark about Billy the Kid's past. He understands exactly where he's been and what he's done. And you know what his reaction was. He said, I've seen young men like that, and their sin has led them to death. And it's ghastly. He said, I know where he's been. I know what he's done. But I love him. Mr. Tunstall didn't look down in judgment. He looked down in compassion. And so he took Billy the Kid, and he was willing to pay off his debt. He was willing to not hold his sin against him. He was willing to make him right according to the law, which he had the ability to do. And he was willing to bring him in and treat him not like a slave, but like a son. Now listen to me. Billy the Kid had signed a contract to work for Mr. Tunstall. And by the way, he loved Mr. Tunstall. Billy's old buddies rode up one day in the movie, and they said, Billy, what are you doing? What are you, you a farmer? What are you doing? He said, well, I've got a new master. I work for Mr. Tunstall. And they laughed. They said, come on, man, you got to be kidding. Let's go do what we did. And he said, I'm not who I used to be, and I'm not going to do what I used to do. 
It's a different day. Now, listen here. Billy had signed a contract. Should he serve his new master? Absolutely. But is that the whole story of why he's serving Mr. Tunstall? No, it is not. Billy's motivation is not fear. It's not that he needs some extra money. Billy's motivation is that he was a young man trapped in sin, and no one had ever loved him before. Mr. Tunstall came along, saw the truth of who he was, and said, I don't care. I'm going to love you anyway. I'll deal with your past. I'll give you a hope and a future, and you'll be a son to me. And Billy melted. He was delighted to be a farmer for Mr. Tunstall. Should we serve Christ? We should. Are we slaves to God? We are. Are we merely slaves to God? We're not. There's a backstory in every single one of our lives where we were enslaved to sin. And one who knew us in our sin looked upon us with compassion, Matthew 9. And God acted on our behalf and delivered us over to a gospel mold, raising us up to a heart of obedience in the image of Christ. He gave us a hope and a future. He took our sin and paid for it. He dealt with our past and made us right according to the law in relationship with his son. We are not merely slaves. We're sons. We're sons and daughters of the one true king. Amen? And so we delight We delight in obedience. Paul says, I'm sorry to belabor this slave language because you're more than that. And so look how he wraps it up here. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Isn't that what your sin did? It just bred more sin. You were in lawlessness, which led to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The truth about our sin was... Um, It devastated our lives. Shame, despair, guilt, and we were on our way to death. But what does obedience to Christ do? Let me just ask you guys, anyone that is longing, and none of us obey Christ perfectly, not even close, but anyone whose heart is a heart of obedience, I want to obey, I long to obey. Let me ask you, what kind of person is Christ making you? Are you becoming less patient or more patient? Less kind more kind. Less loving with your husband, with your wife, your husband, your children, more loving with your, which one is, the more you're striving towards obedience because your heart desires that, what is happening? Are you being led towards lawlessness? Are you being led towards sanctification, newness? Now we know the answer, don't we? Sin led us to more and more lawlessness, despair, leading to death. Grace leads us towards sanctification, towards newness, towards life, and ultimately eternal life. That's what he's going to say. For when you were slaves of sin, verse 20, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, um, uh, you had no ability to be righteous unless you were faking it momentarily. When I was a slave to sin, I had no desire to go to church. I shared that with you. Church was the most boring hour of the week. Now I crave it. When I was a slave to sin, I had, like, opening the Bible and reading it was a form of torture. Now, if you took my Bible away from me, I'd I'd be devastated. Um, Prayer, my goodness, I only prayed before ball games, and it was an act of superstition. 
Don't even know why I did it. But now prayer is J.C. Ryle, it's the life breath of my soul. I was once totally free of righteousness until I was delivered over, made a new creation, given a new master, put in a new mold. But what fruit, 21, were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? Paul nails it. You know what Paul says? You may or may not admit it, but you're now ashamed of the person you used to be, the things you used to do. It was shameful. Put aside the shameful misdeeds of unrighteousness, he says in Ephesians. It was shameful. Look, I'm glad that I'm glad becoming a member, we don't have to put our lives on the screen and let everybody watch it and be okay with it. All right, we'd all be horrified at what we see, starting with me. Our lives were shameful in sin. But watch this. For the end of those things is death, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get, there is fruit, by the way, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And so verse 23, the wages, by the way, in context, the word wage there is a soldier's pay. The soldier's pay, what you get, the soldier's pay of sin, meaning under captivity to your leader, Satan. So here's Satan's payday. You want to be a soldier in his army, here comes payday. The word is death, and it is eternal death. Like sin will lead you to despair all the way to you're in a lake of burning sulfur. That is where sin leads us. But the free gift, notice it doesn't say the wage of God. God doesn't give us what we deserve. We, we, he, doesn't, he doesn't give us a payday for our actions. We get a free gift because they've been won by the actions of another. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin leads to death. Righteousness leads to life. Literally leads us all the way until we are in his presence. And get the picture in Rev 22, 21, 22. Literally a new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem that is descended with a throne in the middle, with a river of life that goes in all directions, literally filling the streets of gold, with a river that goes down the middle, producing trees of all kind of fruit. There's, <laughs> there's no need for lamb, there's no need for sun, because he is light, and we serve him forever and ever. That's where he, under grace, is leading us. What a juxtaposition. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The former a wage you receive, the latter, the former a wage you earn, the latter a gift you receive. Are we slaves to God, Harvest? If you're in Christ, yes, we are. Yes, we are. Praise God, we are. But are we merely slaves? We're not. This text, Paul wants you to see that in your life and in my life, there's a backstory. And if we could all peer in, what we'd see was that you and I were enslaved to sin, every single one of us. And we were known in our sin, and we were loved in our sin. And get this, we were rescued. It was a rescue mission from heaven. 
We were rescued from our sin, delivered over to the kingdom of the beloved son, melted by the heat of his love, poured into the gospel mold, stirred until we have new affections where there's heart obedience to Christ being transformed into his image. And here's the best part, not considered slaves, considered sons. We have a new master, and thanks be to God, because our delight is to do his will. Our delight is to do his will. We're going to enter a time of communion now, and I think it's pretty cool, it's pretty fitting that what the elements on these tables represent is that his body was broken for us. Is that a good master? His blood poured out for you and I. Good master. Sin was a really bad master. Jesus Christ has given himself fully for us. He always bears the heavy side of the cross. So this morning, for anyone who has new life in Christ, who knows what it is to be poured into that gospel mold, have those impurities continually heated and brushed aside in your life, that you are continually being formed to an ever-increasing degree into the image of Christ, and it's not against your will. It can't happen fast enough. For anyone in Christ, the tables are where we celebrate the gospel work that is at work in our lives. We are being made new. For anyone who doesn't know Christ this morning, um, I prayed with a guy before the service that said, Lord, would you jackhammer that concrete that's around our hearts? There is spiritual darkness. And only the truth of the gospel can pierce it. And if you're there feeling this morning like you desperately desire the kind of freedom in Christ that we've been talking about, but you're going, man, I'm in that domain of darkness. The best news that I can give you is that if God's doing that work in your life, that's good news. He's after you. He's on that rescue mission in your heart. And you just yield to it. You say, Lord, I surrender. I got to pray with a guy after service two weeks ago to receive Christ, and I loved listening to this man's prayer. I didn't give him any advice. And he started praying. He said, God, my life's a wreck. I got here on my own. I thought I could do it, and it's all messed up. I'm finished. And I thought, this dude's getting saved because that's where it starts in brokenness over your sin." And he said, will you forgive me? The answer to that question biblically is absolutely yes. That's why I endured the cross for this very moment that you be justified in me. And he said, will you make me new? Absolutely. I'm going to melt you in my love. I'm going to pour you into the gospel mode. We're going to get rid of the impurities. We're going to transform you into Christ. You're going to have a heart obedience. Your delight will be your new master. Grace leads to obedience to everlasting righteousness. Let it be your prayer this morning. Let it be your prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for our time. I ask that there would be others this morning in their seats, um, in the gaps as we call them, between communion tables in the front and the back that they find one of us or they simply in the quietness of their heart, they say unto you, their Lord and their God, thank you, thanks be to God that you didn't leave me here that you have come after me this morning, and I pray that they would just relinquish their life into your hands, that they would be saved by grace through faith, 
putting their trust in you, Lord Jesus, in what you did on that cross as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And we all say with Paul, thanks be to God, for you have authored our salvation. Would you author someone's salvation this morning, someone that's broken and enslaved to their sin? Free them, Lord Jesus. Let them stand in the newness of life that you have provided on the cross. And let them feel the overwhelming sense of your love that leads us to delight and obedience. Let them feel it this morning. Let us all revel in it this morning. Lord, we have a new master and we have a new motivation. Our delight is to serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.